In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, we are going to head into Adventureland and traverse the jungles of the world-famous Jungle Cruise. And our skipper today is Dr. David John Marley, who is the author of a few books on the Jungle Cruise, and we'll hear all about them via this interview in which he talks about more Skipper stories, true tales from Disneyland's Jungle Cruise, as well as some of his forthcoming books related to this topic as well. So let's dive right into the interview with David John Marley. We are now entering the most dangerous part of our journey. Shh, this is a bad place to be headed. This is just one of many jokes and puns to be heard on the world-famous Jungle Cruise, a signature Disney attraction that today's guest knows very, very well. Dr. David John Marley is a lecturer in history at California State Fullerton, and he's designed an entire college course on the history of Disneyland. And I understand that he's also an Etsy artist, a stand-up comedian, and the author of two books on tales about Jungle Cruise skippers and from their perspectives. So on today's show, we are going to be discussing more Skipper stories, true tales from Disneyland's Jungle Cruise, as well as teaching and other ventures that relate to Disney. So welcome to Notably Disney, David. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm just really glad to have you on. You are definitely extremely well-informed about the Jungle Cruise and have now written a few books about it. But I'm I'm hoping we can maybe uh, first discuss a little bit about your career background and your connections to an interest in Disney. All right. I I grew up in Orange, which is about eight miles away from the park, uh, from Disneyland. So my whole life, I've heard the fireworks. So I, I knew when it was either 7.30 or 9.30 at night. Uh, when I was a kid, we had to be in when we could hear the fireworks going off. That was like our, our evening alarm. And um, so it's always been a part of my life. A, a guy in our neighborhood, his full-time job was driving the steam train. Uh, my father was an executive at Baskin Robbins. And back in the 70s and 80s, they had a, a marketing deal with Disney, where Disney would put out a movie and... Baskin Robbins would put out an ice cream flavor um, in honor of that movie. So I got to go to the studio a couple times as a kid. That was a huge rush. And probably the coolest thing I got to do was in third grade, my mom and my dad and I got to spend the weekend at Walt Disney's house in Palm Springs at the Smoke Tree Ranch, which is a wow. kid just, just even then, I was only a third grader, but I, I got that this was something pretty rare and cool. So that was kind of neat. But um. Like I say in the first Skipper Stories book, I became obsessed with becoming a Jungle Cruise skipper when I was seven. Uh, my sister had turned 16, and she drove me to the park, uh, just the two of us. And um, the o- only thing I remember about that whole day was we were waiting in line to get on a boat, and the, the skipper was asking us where we were from, and I said, Orange. He's like, 
you just came from Orange? Why are you here today? I'm like, no reason. My sister just brought me. And he looks my sister up and down. And I'll never forget this. He kneels down to get next to me and he whispers in my ear, be very careful. She's going to ask you for something. And at that moment, I thought, this is what I'm going to do for a living. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a jungle crew skipper. This is my destiny. And it, it never left me. So, so as a child, I have to ask then, were you, were you the type where you were kind of seeking to be an entertainer or comedian or channel that energy that the Jungle Cruise skippers possess with the cleverness? I, I was. Uh, I started in theater when I was about eight. And uh, all through like junior high and high school, I really wanted to be an actor till I realized I don't really possess those skills. Um, my wife was, was a, an actress for years and years. And it takes a lot of talent. I don't have that. What I have is just a desire to be a smart aleck and to try to make people laugh. Um, and so that's, that's what I possessed. And so I think it was a perfect place for me to go be a skipper. Plus I'm not a huge fan of authority and that's a great place for skippers as well. Yes. Well, clearly from, from the books, all the skippers seem to be very rambunctious and, and witty and, uh, wanting to, (laughs) wanting to defy authority in, in different ways, but all in, all in good spirit. I'm wondering, I, I remember in um, reading and listening to, to some of your work that, is it true that you worked as a dump Jungle Cruise skipper across two different periods of time? I did, yeah. I worked there in the summer of 96. I was um, getting ready to go to grad school. Uh, like I said, I was born and raised in Orange County, but I got my PhD at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. And uh, so I knew I only had a few months and I may never come back to California so I went to the park and just made a nuisance of myself until I got hired at Jungle Cruise. And then when I came back to California about six years later, um, through a friend of my wife's, I got hired actually into Disney Entertainment. So I was a part of the opening ceremonies for California Adventure. And I did press tours of the, the Grand Californian and of Disney's uh, Disney California Park. And then um, after that, I went back to the Jungle Cruise, where I spent three and a half years and uh, loved every second of it. So yeah, I spent two different two different eras. Well, and you know, it's funny when you say uh, summer of 96, the first thing that comes to mind is that was the farewell season for the electrical parade, at least the first time, right? Yes. And that was a nightmare. Um, when you had to work a parade shift, it was just, just the worst because it was crowding like I hadn't seen uh before or, or now it, the park is that crowded but at the time it was it, they would close the park down they would shut the gates which had very rarely ever happened now it's a fairly regular occurrence but back in the 90s that never happened wow but people wow. were it was a great parade and people were excited to see it yeah well and then another memorable time for the resort is per what you just mentioned the the opening of dca disney california adventure park what was the energy like? Because I know in retrospect, a lot of people seem to dismiss the, the earliest days of the park. I was there within weeks, actually, of it opening, and I remember how cool the vibe was. But what were your impressions being on the other side? I was, um, that's a good question, because uh, I think I was still really in culture shock when that park was opening. I had been living in D.C. for, for six years, and um, I was teaching at a, a community college in Maryland, right outside of D.C., and the week before Christmas, I was giving a final exam and I look out the window and it's snowing, right? And about a week and a half later, so just a couple days after Christmas, I was back in California at Disneyland in the rehearsal studios in the back of the park, getting ready to do this big show and give tours to the media. And we were having a Santa Ana wind heat wave. So it was like 98 degrees on like, December 28th, 29th. And uh, I just remember trying to get readjusted to living in California and uh, how the weather was so radically different. But the energy, people were really excited about the park. And um, I think the main feeling was that people were, were disappointed that there wasn't enough to do there. But I loved it. I loved, my wife and I loved going around the park when it wasn't very crowded. There were days you'd see more cast members than you did uh, guests. And, uh, that was great. We loved it. I mean, the park is, is better now than it was, but, but we still liked it way back then. 
Well, I, I know for one, I missed the instrumental versions to all the Beach Boys music. <laughs> that oh, was yeah. always a favorite of mine. I totally forgotten about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, along the boardwalk. Yeah, but I like the concept. I like the concept of a park that kind of celebrated California and its different regions and, and what it had to offer. And I just I thought that was a very clever idea. I agree. I, and yeah, I, I also think Buena Vista Street uh, as it exists now is a you know wonderful tribute to old Hollywood and in that yes. era. But it, but you know the the energy of early DCA was also special in its own right. So. Uh, I find yeah. it interesting that you were part of part of that team. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun time. I'm glad I got to do, uh, experience that. So, so I guess learning a little bit more about your your trajectory, uh, you t- you made a brief reference to to being in grad school and and teaching um, out in Maryland. So you you your your background is history. Uh, yeah. could, could you talk a little bit more about what you specialize in, and then how eventually you ended up channeling that passion for the history of things into writing about it from a Disney sense? Well, it looks like I've kind of been all over the place, but most of my history research has been on recent America. But like for my master's degree, I started uh, my work in African-American history, writing about Martin Luther King Jr., who's one of my heroes. And um, so much had been done about him, it was hard to find a, a thesis topic. So I decided to compare him to some modern religious figure that's involved in politics. So I almost literally at random chose Pat Robertson, um, who was much more famous in the early 90s. And uh, so I went to grad school and wrote uh, for my PhD dissertation. It was a biography of Pat Robertson, who's still alive. So it was about the 60s and 70s and whatnot. Uh, So doing modern history. And I always loved the history of Disneyland, but I didn't think it was anything that you could pursue academically. And... um, so I've just I've loved being able to write about it and and re- I was researching at it today. I was at the library at Cal State Fullerton looking at books on where they got their inspiration for the tiki's in the Enchanted Tiki Room and all over Adventureland. So I've just I love it. It's a lot more fun than studying religion and politics. I can tell you that much. A lot more fun. Well, I can imagine if you're listening to the tiki 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 room in the background, like that just you know makes any day better. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like I would, I would research, and I interviewed a lot of you know like some congressmen and Christian right leaders, and it was just very political, and everybody was worried about the next election, and it was it was always tense, and their politics are not my politics, so it was always kind of upsetting. But when I started working on Disney stuff. I'll interview people and I just laugh and I have the best time and uh, it's just so much more fun. And I'm writing about something that brings people real joy into the world, which is fantastic. So, so David, was there an aha moment or a certain epiphany that happened that prompted you to, to start learning about Disney from maybe more of an academic sense or, or kind of a cultural sense? Um, I'd gotten more, I'd started reading Disney history books like like David Koenig's books. Uh, Almost everything that man's written is just fantastic. Uh, um, You should have him on as a guest sometime. Uh, His Mouse Tales books and and whatnot are are fantastic. Um, So I always enjoyed his books. And it it all came about rather randomly. After my Pat Robertson book came out, um, I I was writing a few different book titles that were very serious academic works. But my heart really wasn't in any of them. And after I left uh, Disneyland, I should mention this, um, I started doing a stand-up comedy show where all of the performers were Jungle Cruise skippers. So after I left the park, it was like I spent more time around Jungle Cruise people than I did even when I worked there. So the show was taken off and we were performing at the Improv and and touring around Southern California and having a great time. And um, that's where I began to hear all these stories from different people. And um, the editor and owner of Theme Park Press approached me and asked me to write a a history of the Jungle Cruise where I interviewed one skipper from each decade to kind of represent that decade. And uh, I I told him, what if I interviewed every skipper I know? Because even the skippers I don't personally think are funny still have some great stories. And what if I just interview everybody, just throw the net out there? and then collect them all kind of that way. And he thought that was a great idea. So that's where the Skipper Stories ideas came from. And starting about the same time, 
uh, actually about a year or two before that is when I started doing my history of Disneyland class. And that again came about almost completely at random, like a lot of things in my life. Very, very just random opportunities. How did you end up building the curriculum for that and and probably just as importantly getting the support from students and other people in the department to actually make a class like that happen? I was at, um, I wasn't at Cal State Fullerton, I was at a, a different uh, uh, school and they were just looking, you know, it was a, a private school that was always trying to, you know, have more classes and make money and they were desperately trying to find summer school classes that students might want to take. I'm like, does anybody have any ideas? And people were shouting out ideas and I raised my hand and I said, I'll do a history of Disneyland class. And they went, that's fantastic. And I sat down and I went, I have no idea what that entails. Um, but by chance, I was working on the syllabus and I got to meet um, the late Dave Smith, the first archivist for the Disney archives. And I told oh, sure. him about the class and he said, there's lots of Disney studies professors and people that do stuff on Disney, but there's never been a class that he's ever heard of that focused just on Disneyland Park and just the history of the park. So we had a nice little chat about that. He thought that was interesting. And I, I sent him a copy of the syllabus once it was a... Uh, once it was done. The nice thing about it, since no one had taught a class like that before, I could kind of just make up whatever I wanted it to be, which was a lot of fun. So it was, uh, it was great. Brought in a lot of guests. A lot of my friends that I started out with at Disneyland have worked their way up into the company. A couple have become Imagineers. Some of them are managers. Um, one of my good friends is a show direct, was a show director in entertainment for Disney. So they would all come to my class and talk about it. It was just, it was the most fun class I ever taught. That, that sounds so cool. And to draw on that network and the community that you have to serve as guest speakers probably made it feel even more real to the students. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they loved it. And I had David Koenig come. Uh, he was a great speaker, too. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of great people came. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. And I hope to teach it again at Fullerton. Uh, we're, because I'm not a tenure track professor there, it's a little more complicated, but we've started the process and I've been told that if everything goes well, it'll take a year for it to get approved because uh, things move slowly in a big Cal State school like that. I could imagine. Are there, are there any changes you would make to how you teach the class or resources that you bring into the picture? Um, no, not really. Because it was the history of Disneyland, I was afraid people would think it was a super easy class and I had a reputation uh, wherever I've taught as being a more demanding professor that I'm entertaining and I crack a lot of jokes and you're gonna have a fun time but you'd better do the reading and you'd better come to class and you'd better be prepared to you know participate uh, so I made it pretty academically rigorous there were several papers that were due there weren't any exams but several papers that were due and discussions and projects so it, it I, I wanted to scare away students that thought it was going to be an easy A, and I think I, su I succeeded in that. But it was always packed, so I'm hoping we can recreate that at, at Fullerton. Uh, the only thing I would change now is there's there have been some new books that have come out uh, that I would add, and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Well, I know one big book that's debuting this fall, It's and you're probably familiar with it too, but so listeners also keep their eye out on it, Disney's Land. It's going to cover the, um, the history of the park, and that seems like it's going to be a, another good resource. Right. I'm interested. Do you have a, of the different topics that you've covered in the previous iterations of the class and maybe thinking ahead, favorite topic about the history of the park? I really liked the story of the park um, while Walt was alive. The, how much, how he radically changed the park, because... Uh, the problem with Disneyland is that people look at it and say, no, we got to leave it the way Walt wanted it. And Walt was always changing it. So if he'd lived another 10 or 20 years, Disneyland wouldn't look anything like the way we think of it today. So I like to show people that Walt was always changing things, always adding things, always plussing things. That He was really never going to be done. Even with Florida being built, he still wasn't going to uh, be done with it anytime soon. So that's one of my favorite things to talk about. Sure. Well, and one of the real notable aspects of the early days of Disneyland 
was the Jungle Cruise. It still is a crucial part of the park. So transitioning uh, to your skipper stories, can you can you maybe talk a little bit about the process of enlisting skippers to share their stories? Yeah, um, it was a really interesting um, uh, process. If you've read the first book, it's a lot of it is my own personal stories and from people that I worked with. So a lot of people from the 90s and the early 2000s are in there with a few others scattered in. But for the first book, there were people that I really wanted to interview that were nervous. They didn't know how Disney would react. They didn't know what the book was going to be like. And so they were hesitant. And I remember that really frustrated me. But my wife, who's just amazing, she told me, honey, when the first book comes out, people are going to come flooding to you to be in the second one. And that's what happened. So some of the people I really wanted to talk to are in the second book, which is great. So the second book has people from the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, it's, it's weird talking to people that worked there in the 60s. And we had the exact same experiences. And they were working at the park before I was even born. And yet we shared the exact same stories. It was, it was like, a, it's like a brotherhood and a sisterhood. Like the, the two most common words I hear when I do these interviews is fraternity. And the other word is uh, shenanigans. So we're a fraternity that gets into a lot of shenanigans. That, those two words sum it up pretty well. Well, and I, I think those words are also apt in um, what was translated to the written word in, in terms of reading through more skipper stories in, in particular and, and seeing some of the pranks that people would pull on, one, uh, cast members would pull on one another and uh, funny experiences. Uh, of the interviews you conducted, was is there one that stands out as like, oh my gosh, that is ridiculously funny. Like, I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, that is such a hard question. Because um, it really changes from moment to moment. Like, what stories I think are absolutely hysterical. Um, one of my favorite ones is a uh, uh, is in the first book, and I, and I expand on it a bit more in, in the more Skipper stories, but there's a Skipper named Rit, R-I-T-T, um, his name's all through the second book. I, he's a great interview. Um, but he did a prank where it appeared that he had jumped out of the boat at night and like left the guests abandoned on the boat as it slowly drifted up to the dock. All right. Yeah. And it was a prank on his fellow cast members. A lot of the pranks we pull on like newbies, like, like rookies, or we pull pranks on guests. But he was a rookie who pranked all these veteran Jungle Cruise skippers. And that's why I love that story. Because it was just brilliant. He just grabbed a guest's hat and backpack and jacket and walked right off the boat with everybody else. They didn't even recognize him. And uh, it was it was almost like magic. He just suddenly appeared back on the dock as they were getting ready to go like comb through the islands to see where he was hiding out there in the jungle. That was probably my favorite story to hear from his perspective and then to hear it from the perspective of the people that were on the dock and how completely fooled they were. Gotcha. What, what, what about looking at your own experiences, uh, embarrassing moments that unfolded uh, or particularly funny ones? Do, do any stand out? Um, funny things I did, there's a, uh, uh, in the scene that they call the, the, right after the hippos, there's a scene called the Dancing Natives, where the natives are dancing around. There's a oh, sure. canoe right in front of them that has a bunch of skulls in it. And I told a buddy of mine, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we hopped in there? So we hopped in the, the skull canoe and we took some rope and wrapped it around our arms and acted like we're being held hostage and we were going to be eaten by these cannibals. And we just waited for boats to come by. And we just had the best time and, and, and skippers had no idea we were out there. And that's how we spent our lunch break. Not eating lunch, we spent it out there in the jungle being part of the wild scene. And uh, skippers used to be able to do that all the time. And I thought it really gave the guests something that they couldn't experience anywhere else. It made Jungle Cruise very unique. Oh, that's genius. Did, yeah. did, you, did you relay that story in the second book? I seem to recall that. I mean, I have no idea what, what book oh, I Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, after a while, it's so many stories, right? Yeah, and, I, and I'm working on a Jungle Cruise history and a Skipper Stories 3, so I'm always interviewing people all the time, so they just kind of lay on top of each other, and I'm not always sure what story went in what book. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll definitely dive into that, because I'm sure 
I know, and I know listeners will want to know more about those ventures. So you you made a reference like there's there have been so many stories. How how do you go about the process of both enlisting people, compiling their stories, and then editing them to to get them to all be somehow cohesive and based on themes or topics? Um, well, I was uh, when I was working on my master's degree at Cal State Fullerton. One of the you had to pick like a language or a skill, and one of the skills I picked to learn was oral history which is how to do long form interviews with people. Um, and that served me very well. I got, that's how I got to be able to interview all these different people. So I knew the process of how to do oral history. And I started out with a few friends of mine to kind of, you know, get back in the practice of the thing. Um, but I'll spend sometimes I, one guy spent three hours going over all kinds of stuff, but I record everything. And um, I usually research them pretty well. So I know when they worked there, who they may have worked with, what was going on at the park when they were there, but I cover their whole Disney career. Um, Focus on the the Jungle Cruise and the Tiki Room a bit. Um, And then what I do is I transcribe it. And I did myself, my sister was a huge help on this last book. She did most of the interviews, transcribed most of them for me. She's really fast at it. Um, And once they're transcribed, I just go through and just start cutting them out. I'm like, all right, here's a story about being a trainer. And I stick it in that chapter. And here's a story about, you know, an accident. Here's a story about a celebrity. And I just throw them in every chapter they belong in. And then when that process is done with all of those interviews, I go through, I pick a chapter like on training, like how you got trained there. I go through all those stories and then I organize them so it kind of flows as a narrative. Um, and it's it's kind of cool. It's kind of magical how it happens because I, I people will just tell me stories and they just seem to fit one after the other in a real nice pattern and uh i really like how that's worked out so far it's been it's been kind of a cool thing to see happen very cool well one thing i i know i appreciated in reading through the chapters was that yes there's a, a common theme but there's in between the snippets of different skippers stories are these you know maybe several sentences or a paragraph or so that kind of sets up a, a particular component of the experience, whether it's training or uh, different aspects of the the attraction itself. So it, you as the reader can really um, create that narrative, even though there are these distinct experiences. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've, I had friends read it that weren't Disney people. And they would say, well, what is this? And why are people afraid of City Hall? And, and so they would they go, I'm, this is a dumb question. I'm sorry. They'd ask me their question. I'm like, no, 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 no dumb questions. What is it? And they'd ask me. I'm like, okay, I got to put that in the book. I got to explain it and, and make sure non-Disney people can read it and enjoy it and get something out of it. Yeah. Right. Well, be, and, oh, no, my pleasure. But, but it's true because I, I recognize, and, and you're very upfront about it, that there's a lot of a lot of not only Disney jargon, but Jungle Cruise jargon. And you have that, you know, the glossary and you have those yeah. references so people can can follow what what this language is. Yeah, there's a lot of shorthand that gets thrown around all the time and you can get lost pretty quickly. So thinking about your your experiences, one one story I liked in the more skipper stories was when you talk about basically uh, navigating the Jungle Cruise at night and taking place around the same time as Fantasmic. Uh, could you talk a little bit about J- Jungle Cruise Fantasmic? Because I thought that was pretty pretty cool. Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, it all came about um, from a great failure. Uh, a friend of mine, you know there's the, the backside of water joke? And oh, yes. It's the one joke that every skipper has to do or people complain. And we'd made it our goal. We were you know young and cocky. We're going to get rid of this joke. We're going to find something better. And in three and a half years of trying, I didn't even get close. I didn't come up with a single joke that people liked, like one-tenth as much as the backside of water joke. So I failed miserably. But at night, uh, I love to tell people, if you go to any Disney park that has a Jungle Cruise, you got to ride it twice. Ride it once in the day and ride it at night. They are two completely separate rides. Um, At this point, I've interviewed well over 80 different skippers. And only one of them preferred to work the day. Every single one of them liked working nights better because the you can take more time. There aren't as many people. It's more grown up, so you can do a different kind of comedy. And the one guy that didn't like working nights, I was really surprised. I'm like, what? 
you're the only one. Why is that? He's like, oh, I had a social life. I had girls to go out with. <laughs> he goes, when it was five o'clock, I had to be out the door. I'm like, oh, well, good, good for you. Um, the rest of us couldn't get dates, so we were working nights and weekends at the Jungle Cruise. Um, but anyway, so um, I would do, uh, when you're in the jungle during Fantasmic, you'd see the fireworks in the sky and you'd hear the big booms. But I would take a, um, a handheld light and I would, we'd go with the backside of water. I would just flash it and flash the indoor and outdoor lights real fast back and forth and say, look, it's, it's Jungle Cruise Fantasmic. And I would do the song, I'd hum it. And then at the end, I would do my Mickey Mouse voice. I'd just go, ha ha, some imagination, ha ha ha. And I would do the voice and people would go nuts and laugh. So that was my standard nighttime joke was, was Jungle Cruise Fantasmic. Oh, that's, that's just awesome. And yeah, your impression was really good. So I think uh, Brett Iwin, who currently voices Mickey, better watch out. I, I had a lady who swore that I was the voice of Mickey Mouse in the cartoons. I'm like, ma'am, and that, I didn't warm up for that. So that was my unrehearsed Mickey. I'm like, no, ma'am, I'm not. She's like, yes, you are. And I'm like, do you think I work there during the day and come here at Joan Cruz at night? She went, you must. You must love Disney that much. You're the voice of Mickey. And she walked away. And I couldn't convince her that I, I wasn't. I'm like, no, he's paid a lot more than I am. He's not He's not making minimum wage, working 40 hours a week, driving a boat. But but given that you you were a Jungle Cruise skipper, and I know you've shared a little bit about this on other podcasts too, you've you've had encounters with celebrities because per the, the notion of being a Disney cast member, you have those interactions. And this, being a skipper is a, a more intimate experience with having the 40 guests on board. What were, can, yeah. can, you, can you think of some of those memories of, of interacting with celebrities and uh, how you reacted or, or maybe played up to that? Um, the, uh, the best celebrity interaction I personally ever had was with Billy Idol. And uh, I grew up in the 80s hearing his music. So to have him on my boat, I was very excited. Um, it's, it's the one interesting thing I, I noticed when I lived in, outside of Southern California, that if you live in Southern California, you see a lot of celebrities so you kind of get trained not to really look at them or pay attention to them. You just kind of ignore them because they get treated kind of like circus freaks all the time. So you see them, it's like, ah, eh, no big deal. And like you really want to see them and you really want to look at them, but it's not like the cool thing to do. So you pretend like you don't care. Uh, and at Jungle Cruise, you know, you're not allowed to take selfies with them or act like anything's out of the ordinary. But so I had Billy Idol on my boat. He and uh, a, a couple different women and some kids. And they're right in the front, right next to me. And Billy Idol's sitting right next to me. And I do this joke that was one of my jokes. We, we steal jokes back and forth, but everybody can have a joke that was theirs. And this was my joke. When you're coming up to the backside of water, you, you turn real sharp right to avoid the, the waterfall. And I would say, lean to the right, lean to the right. It's okay, it's Orange County. You can lean to the right in Orange County, which is a political joke because it you know used to be a conservative county. And people would laugh. And as the boat turned in my head, I think arrogantly, I thought, oh, Billy Idol didn't get that joke, you know, because he's from England and he's a rock star. What does he know? And I looked down. He's explaining to his group what my joke meant. And he was comparing it to the Tories and Margaret Thatcher in England and how it's this whole conservative thing in Orange County. And he was explaining the history of Orange County. And I was stunned. And the length of the Nile, there's a couple elephants, you know, it's, it's like maybe 50, 60 yards long. I sure. joked the whole length of the Nile, just staring at him, listening to him explain to his group about the history of conservatism in Southern California and Orange County. And I realized, oh, oh, I got a job to do. Oh, I, I got to go. <laughs> I got to do jokes. I'm like, how about that? Billy Idol, a lot smarter than I would have thought. So that was a, a teachable moment for me. But it was a for me, that was a lot of fun to see him explain to people what that was. Yeah, that's oh, oh, cool. Well, and and in essence, you know, as all of you as Jungle Cruise skippers are performers, and you're you're performing a really good shtick. So I I would imagine there's a, a certain level. I would hope on the celebrity side, a level of understanding and appreciation for the craft that all of you engage in. A lot of them do. A lot of the, um, I think a lot of the musicians do. Uh, a lot of the actors, especially when we have comedians, they almost always really appreciate it. Um, what they do. A friend of mine had Mark Hamill on. Uh, just oh wow, a couple of, and they ended up being kind of stuck out in the jungle. And Mark Hamill was just talking to him about how often he does this and about the effects on his voice. And he said he was just the nicest guy. But he said you could clearly tell Mark Hamill understood 
that I do this a lot. It's a performance. It's not just a dumb, you know, ride that he's on. And, and it was like, he, it was, it was very cool. So you see celebrities like that, that seem to really appreciate it and get it. And usually the comedian ones are, the, the comedian ones also terrify the skippers. If a comic gets on your boat, you're just terrified. Um, so you want it, you want to do your best and you hope you get a good boat. It doesn't always happen, but you hope. That, that's so cool. Yeah, I was thinking of like Star Wars puns that could be incorporated into Jungle Cruise, but uh, that's a, that's another story. <laughs> well, what I thought was really cool on um, in reading your book is that when when the Jungle Cruise was uh, basically upgraded in back in 2004, uh, you playing a role in helping with some of the jokes and and some of the script. Yeah, that was uh, one of the most fun summers of my life. I had such a great time. Um, I, I just gotten a full-time tenure track job. I was finishing my, my PhD, um, and I was working at Disney full-time. So I had a lot of stuff to do and I knew I had to quit Disneyland cause my wife had gotten pregnant. So I knew I had to quit and, I, and she's like, well, quits. So we have the summer together cause the baby was coming late August, early September. And so I quit so we can spend the summer together before the baby comes. And, um, I was think I was sitting in the parking lot where the cast members parked thinking, all right, I got to go quit. I don't want to quit but I have to. And I go in, it was the day the schedules get announced and I only worked jungle or Tiki. They knew I wouldn't work parades. I didn't want to work phantasmic. I actually, for three and a half years, I refused to be trained anywhere else because I just wanted jungle cruise seven days a week. Happy as a clam. Um, that's not true for everybody, but that was true for me. And, um, I go to check my schedule and it had, instead of a T or a J it said S a, and it was nine to five, Monday through Friday and I saw that and I went oh I'm not whatever this is I'm not doing it I'm just I'm quitting and so I walk into the manager and I'm like what is SA what does that stand for and he goes oh I forgot to talk to you um we're gonna redo the script and they're gonna fix the jungle cruise and they're gonna redo the script would you like to be one of the writers for us this summer you get to hang out in the back you could go to Imagineering and meet them and we'll stay back here and write jokes all summer would you be interested in that so I called my wife and I said honey I'm going to be a Jungle Cruise all, all summer long. And that's how I spent it, just writing jokes and hanging out with people that were just, that loved the ride as much as I did and loved Disney. And we got to just spiel all day long and, and, and throw jokes back and forth. It was just, it was so much fun. It was a great way to go out. I was going to say, what, a, what a, a lasting legacy of sorts. Yeah, and the one thing that, that I did that I, I uh, uh, if I can blow my own horn, it's the thing I'm proudest of is probably the thing that's the most obscure is they really wanted skippers to stay on the script, which is never going to happen. But I told them, I finally convinced them, and I think being a professor helped. Um, I said, if you want people to stay on the script, you have to give them the ability to add to the script. So we created a box. A friend of mine literally, she made it, and we made a form, and you write your joke, and you stick it in the box, and the managers send it up to Burbank to Imagineering. And if they approve it, it comes back and goes on the script. And for me, that was a big accomplishment. So I'll, I'll hear from my former students that work there and some of my friends that still work there that they wrote a joke that was able to go on the script and it's there forever. And they have this great sense of pride and ownership and the attraction. And that just, that warms my heart that that's still going on there. They've changed the process a bit, but it's still going on. And that, I think that makes me very happy. Wow. What a lasting impact. That's really cool. And a, a way of kind of almost like a thread line, like wh what a, what a wonderful way of being part of the jungle cruises evolution, really. Yeah. And I was just being the difficult one. Um, whenever they were arguing about something, I would just like, well, let me tell you this. And it was, yeah. So if I got, I got my mind made up about something because they're like, they can't deviate. I'm like, they're going to. It's the nature of the beast. You're alone with people for 45 minutes. Stuff happens out there. You're going to improvise. You have to find a way to deal with it, not just try to ban it because that's not realistic. And so it, it took more convincing than I thought it would, but I'm, I'm glad it, it happened. Absolutely. Well, the Jungle Cruise, like many other Disney attractions, experience changes over time, whether it's refurbishments or, you know, ad adding, in some cases, like Pirates of the Caribbean, adding film characters into the mix. With Jungle Cruise, we know that 
a film starring Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt is on the horizon for yeah. next summer. What what are you most excited about or concerned about with this uh, film adaptation of the classic Disney attraction? I, I've been told they want to make this another like Pirates of the Caribbean series of movies. And because at first I was nervous, but when I heard that, that made me happy because that means they're taking the time to do it right. If that makes sense. It's not a quick, Hey, let's just do this, make cash, move on. It's like, if we could make this a series of films, that would be great. So let's have a story arc. Let's really work on it. Uh, a friend of mine who works in Imagineering told me that, um, he'd seen 30 copies of my first book, Skipper Stories came through the office and was given to the production team for the movie. Um, so if, if they, if they read it or anything like that, um, uh, but, um, yeah, so that's kind of, th- that also calmed me down. All right, they're reading the books. They're interested in the history of the attraction. That's fantastic. So um, I'm excited because usually when a movie comes out, they'll spruce up the ride a bit. Um, but I think it's all going to be positive. My only fear is that the managers at the park will really try to crack down on skippers because they're afraid of of anyone going off script, which is kind of ridiculous. But that comes and goes with the, with the years. Well, and and I imagine, too, in terms of the Jungle Cruise getting this type of attention on the studio side, that it almost signals an investment in the heritage of the attraction, that that could also help secure its its place in the parks and and all the wonderful attributes that are associated with it. So that, that there could be a positive angle, too. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It'll help more people because. I remember working there, and you'd be at the front gate. You'd call the, the barker, and you, your goal or greeter, and your goal was to get people to come in, and they would just walk by, like, what is this? And it, it was weird. Working Jungle Cruise, it's the only attraction I, I worked where people didn't care if it was broken down or not. Um, I had a job where I got to be, it was called an area greeter, and I went around the whole west side of the park with my little earpiece in, uh, and I got to help people, or if an attraction broke down, I'd go help, you know, people find a new ride and it was just just there to help uh, they said i was a problem solver my wife laughed hysterically because she called me the problem maker and she's like how are you gonna do all you do is create chaos how are you gonna fix it and but i kind of got to but i saw people get like seriously enraged when indie would break down or or big thunder or pirates they're like you are ruining my day and you're ruining my trip and you're making my children cry and i'm like we didn't we didn't break it down. It'll be up in like a half hour. I, why are they crying? Because for years at Jungle Cruise, the ride breaks down. People are like, oh, well, what is this? <laughs> you know, it's a ride in a boat and we tell jokes. Huh. And they would just walk away. So we were used to a whole different level of stress. So I think when these movies come out, more people will go to the ride and see how fun it is and how beautiful it is. Most beautiful office I've ever had was at the Jungle Cruise and see how funny these skippers are. But what I think people don't appreciate about skippers is all the Disney employees, all the cast members get paid the same. Um, the the man or woman pushing the buttons at Fantasyland, you know, sit down, they hit the button, sit down, hit the button for eight hours. They get paid the same as a Jungle Cruise skipper. And a skipper has to entertain and your throat gets sore and your body's tired because you're physically lifting people in and out of a boat all day. So it's physically very demanding. And, uh, the pay's the same, yet people that tend to stay at Jungle Cruise like they work a lot harder than than there's any monetary reason to, if that makes sense. And that's what I love about it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's apparent, and the, the descriptions in the book really help accentuate the point that it it's a lot of work, but, boy, the ability to bring such joy to guests in this very unique type of experience also uh, is a very, very valuable thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I didn't really talk about it too much in the skipper stories books. It's going to be a bigger part or at least mentioned more in my jungle cruise history book that when people go to work there that don't want to be at jungle cruise, they, they don't last very long. Um, if they get cross trained, like they work somewhere else and they get trained at jungle cruise, if they don't like it, they are quickly gone. Or if they're a new cast member, that comes to jungle, they are either washed out and quit or they get traded somewhere else pretty quickly. I, I would imagine that to be the case. Could, could you maybe, I was going to ask you anyways, could you transition and talk a little bit, a little bit about this new history of the jungle cruise book, what it's going to entail and 
what new insights you're gleaning along the way. Sure. So um, it's a history of the Jungle Cruise from its its earliest ideas, which started with almost some of the earliest iterations of Disneyland. It had a version of a boat ride around tropical plants and through what Walt originally wanted live animals. But it's the story about how it was designed and planned and how it was built and how it changed over time. Originally, it was a, a fairly serious ride. If you look at the, the old Disneyland movie where they show you the Jungle Cruise and um, Thorough Ravenscroft, the guy that did um, Tony the Tiger and he did some of... Um, oh, he didn't do Tony the Tiger. Thorough Ravenscroft. Um, some Mahana Mansion stuff. He did um, uh, the voiceover for the Jungle Cruise skipper and it's 90% serious. And then in the 60s, it changed and began to be funny. And so skippers began to lean towards the comedy. By the 70s, that place was a madhouse and they were having huge parties with literally... 2,000 people showing up. If you've read about the banana balls, um, that's in book one and book two. Um, and that it's really changed a lot over time. That every era, some like, but like the late 80s, it was very calm and serene and the managers controlled what you could say and people were fired for going off script. And then in the early 2000s, I found out it's called the rogue era. That that was the, like the last wild time of the Jungle Cruise from like 2001 to about 2007 where it was just chaos and wildness and people getting away with all kinds of things so and people think the jungle cruise is the same since day one but it's actually changed a lot they've added new things they took things out they lost part of the river for the indiana jones uh, queue but um all through it all there have been skippers that have worked there and have loved it and have made it something truly unique at a disneyland park so that's cool. I'm gonna all that stuff awesome or is it just from a disneyland perspective or are you looking at the other parks as well Looking at all, yeah, all the other parks, um, the four parks that have a Jungle Cruise. Matter of fact, I, I interviewed a guy that, uh, a couple guys, but one that worked in California was sent to Japan to help them build their Jungle Cruise. And then I met with a, a skipper that was sent to Tokyo Disneyland to work there for a week in their Jungle Cruise, uh, doing English tours. And uh, so he's hooked me up with some Japanese skippers, and I've met a bunch of skippers from Florida. So I'm going to cover each park and why they're different and how they're different and like what Hong Kong's is like, because Hong Kong's is really different. It's cool. Um, but yeah, so it's going to cover all of that. That's fantastic. When, when is it anticipated to be released? That will be out uh, in May or June of 2020. So right before the movie comes out. My, my publisher knows what he's doing. So <laughs> I was going to say that's really fortuitous. <laughs> I was I was working on it day and night, and um, I thought there's no way I'm going to meet that because because the Jungle Cruise movie was supposed to come out at the end of this summer of 2019, and I was not going to be ready with it, and uh, they delayed it to next summer because they want to make it their big tentpole movie, uh, and that was just great news for me because that just gave me almost a full year to keep working on it, so that was that was music to my ears. I know some people were mad they wouldn't get to see it as soon, but I'm. I'm thrilled. So, so that's slated for May. And then in December of 2020, I'm going to have the third Skipper Stories book called Even More Skipper Stories come out. And that's going to have interviews with skippers from Florida, Hong Kong, and Japan, including a few more from Anaheim, California as well. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Will there, will there be any crossover in terms of interviewees across both books? Like people that have been in previous books or, or um, like I, history book? Yeah, across the history book and the third Skipper Stories, yeah. Yes, yeah. And some of the people that I've interviewed in the first two Skipper Stories books are going to appear here. Like, they would tell me stuff that was history-related, not particularly funny or amusing, but had a good story about it. That's going in the Jungle Cruise history book. Um, so I did, like, there's been things I've been saving and waiting to put in that other book. So, but, uh, yeah, so that's going to happen. And all of these interviews I've done have led me to do but my third book for Theme Park Press is going to be, I, so far we're calling it cast member stories, that a lot of these skippers worked at different parts of the park, and their stories there are hysterical. So I've started interviewing people that never worked at Jungle Cruise and getting their stories. So I'm going to compile that into a book uh, as well. So I, I got a lot to keep me out of trouble for a while. I was going to say, and you know, it's those the, the cast member stories that provide such a level of authentic authenticity and 
sometimes humility about what it's like to to be part of the Disney theme park experience. That's something I remember reading years about through David Koenig's books, uh, as you made reference to him. And, and your oh. books are are offering that too, but in a very narrow sense, at least at the moment with looking at Jungle Cruise and really giving a, a full composite of, of what that experience is like. Yeah. Well, I, I know I'm excited about the history of the Jungle Cruise book, so I think <laughs> it's a, a natural tie with the, the film's release. So hopefully hopefully that helps uh, boost further interest. Thanks, thanks. I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's been a lot of fun to work on. I, I can imagine. Well, and now you mentioning that you're looking at, you know, cast members across different parts of the park uh, that I imagine is uh, offering an interesting counterpoint to, to being on the Jungle Cruise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They don't, um, they're a lot, most areas of the park are, are much more straight laced. And so the, what happens with, it's funny with them is when unexpected things happen and they don't know really how to react. That's what I find funny. Where at Jungle Cruise, you expect things to go wrong. Plants fall over or animals don't work or the boat ahead of you is going too slow or too fast. And some guests laugh at everything you say and some get, guests just hate you. And it's like boat after boat. You can't tell if it's going to be good or bad. And so you're used to everything being different all of the time, which which just appealed to the way my brain worked. But some people like to sit at a, at a chair and push that button. And that's their favorite thing in the world to do, or that would just drive me crazy. So it's been fun to see people that never wanted to be skippers and thought that would be the worst possible job to have. Well, I think it, it, it seems like an incredible opportunity to really be part of the the rich fabric of of the disneyland experience so uh i i sure enjoyed it from a from a reader standpoint one one thing i'm uh, also caught my eye in and reading a little bit about you uh on your faculty profile it, it mentioned that you're uh part of the hyperion historical alliance could you talk about what your involvement in this group entails because i know it's uh related to different individuals associated with or part of the Disney company. Yeah, the, the Hyperion Historical Alliance is a, a group of scholars that work kind of in conjunction with the Disney company. Um, we're not employees. We don't have to write, you know, the Disney version of events. Um, but we, like, we interview people that Disney doesn't have. Like, basically, we're kind of helping the archives in some ways. Like, we interview people and we... Uh, a lot of it's focused on like animation. So they get copies of people's drawings that they just took home in the forties and the HHA will show up and scan all of them so that Disney has some nice scanned copies for people to look at and see. And uh, like people wrote diaries and wanted to write autobiographies of their time at Disney that they never got a chance to finish. And HHA people will go in and help them with that. And um, it's a, uh, it's fun. I've got to meet, you know, a lot of fun people, Tony Baxter and all, all kinds of just great, uh, uh, people there and that they've helped me with my, my research a lot. Yeah. And I, I it's a group that's, um, uh, it's, uh, I hope can do more in the future. It, it, there are some members of it that are doing some great work that the HHA should could do more to promote than I think they are, but it, it's a good group. Yeah. It, it definitely caught my eye. I've heard a little bit about it over recent months and then, uh, seeing your, your connection to it, to be able to have different folks who have, either work for Disney or who are scholars of Disney compiling their knowledge and resources and in that type of uh, way. So cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Well, I'm hoping we can conclude before sharing where folks can get in touch with you and how they can get a hold of your books. Every episode we conclude with some Disney related questions that I ask all of my guests. Uh, So the segment is called ask them my questions and get some answers. So this includes three standard music-related questions, two standard book-related questions, and one random Disney question. All of these are opinion-based. So, David, are you ready? I believe I am. All right. So first music-related question is, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? I was growing up. Um... I listened to that, uh, it was a Haunted Mansion LP. I don't know if you remember that. It was a real, like, 33 record that was, like, taking you through the Haunted Mansion. That I listened to all the time. 
I'm not sure what that says about me, but I love that. That doesn't really count as a soundtrack, though, does it? No, I would say it does. <laughs> it's, right. it, you know, it's, it's audio, so yeah, absolutely. It's it it, it, man. Yeah. What's that? It had all the music and the Grim Grinning Ghost song, so yeah, that could count, I guess, huh? So is Haunted Mansion one of your favorites? Yeah, I always liked it. I always, always liked that. I always liked pirates. I liked the canoes. I'm very much a west side of the park kind of guy. I liked everything on that side. Hey, well, it makes sense. It's all about history, right? <laughs> the past. Uh, yeah. Not so yeah. much Tomorrowland, so. Right. A little, a little different. Uh, second music question is, what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Oh, um, uh, When Will My Life Begin from Tangled. I was uh, driving with my girls today. I took them out to lunch, my teenage daughters, and my daughter wanted to play the, our, the Disney playlist. And so that song came on and we were all just singing it at the top of our lungs. That's a good one. It has it, some nice reprises as well, too. It does, yeah. So it was that and the, the Moana soundtrack. That's what we were playing today. It was, it was Tangled and Moana. But that's the one that's stu- it's still in my head right now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So third question is, what Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Underrated music? Um, I don't know if anybody would agree with this, uh, but I think Princess and the Frog. It, to me, it's, it's, it might be one of the top two or three best Disney animated films ever. And I think its music is fantastic. And it has the best villain song ever. Uh, with Dr. Facilier's Friends on the Other Side song. To me, that's the... There, I don't know if there could ever be a better Disney villain song than that. Yeah, that's a really good one. And the animation for that one sequence is just really incredible, too, oh. with, like, the shadows and all that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, gr- that's a great choice. Love that. Uh, and actually, yeah, this year is the 10th anniversary of the film, so maybe maybe you'll be getting some extra attention. I have... I have the movie poster here in my house. A friend of mine who works at the studio got it for me years ago, and I framed it and had it in my girls' room until they wanted to put up posters of BTS and, you know, other things. So I took it and have it now myself. (laughs) Awesome. So moving on to the book-related questions, and I imagine you're a big reader. Uh, What is the most recent Disney book or Disney-related book you have read? Oh God! Um, most dis- most recent one I've read. Oh, I'm always reading them. Um, dead silence. I try to remember what it was. Well, because I'm right in the middle of of uh, not working on the only working on the book, but I do a lot of talks at tiki conventions and Disney conventions. So I'm doing a big one at this thing called Tiki Oasis. It's like the biggest tiki convention in the world. Thousands of people show up. And I'm doing a talk on Walt Disney and how he brought tiki culture to Disneyland. And so I've been rereading a lot of books about the early history of the park that I'd already read, but I'm rereading them and going through them. You know, grad school, right? You read the book, but you've taken notes and you've got to go back through them and compile it and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. But uh, want me to tell you what my favorite one of those is? Sure. Go for it. Yeah. Or what? Um, like my favorite Disney history book right now is Three Years in Wonderland by uh, Todd James Pierce. He's a friend of mine from the HHA and he's a professor at, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. But it's about um, how the park was built. It, it's the best story about how Disneyland was built and all the drama behind it and how much Walt sacrificed for it. And uh, C.V. Wood, who tried to say that he invented Disneyland and it was his show and then he got fired and it's uh it's a great book it's it's very well researched and quite a good read well that's a yeah that's a solid recommendation for sure other than so, stories which are like the best books ever written other than those two you know right you all right third book <laughs> that's right next to next to yours right on on your bookshelf exactly so this begs the question, which is our second book-related question, and I know you have some ongoing projects, but if you could write a Disney book on any topic, other than Jungle Cruise maybe, uh, what would it be? I would write, um, and Theme Park Press asked me to do this, I would take my History of Disneyland class and turn it into a book. 
I would like to write the whole history of the park, including California Adventure and the whole thing. I, I think it's because my training as a historian, a lot of Disney books focus on the Matterhorn was built in 59 and it's this tall and it can seat this many people and this isn't that great in the submarine ride where I want to know about, like a lot of people focus on the Imagineers who built it and the, the dreamers who thought it up and then who created it. And I like that part, but I like to find out about the people that actually worked it every day and what was it like every day. Um, and that's the one, I think, different thing I've brought to some of the Disney scholarship. A lot of the people I've met never worked at the park. They worked in the studio or in Imagineering or they never worked for the company at all. But people that were like in the trenches loading sweaty bodies all day long on boats or cars or whatever, you learn to appreciate a whole different side of Disneyland. So I'd like to include their stories as well. So that'd be my big new, that'd be my big project. But that, that's going to be, would that be my fourth book? That would be fantastic, especially the DCA part. Like, I think that would be just a, a great springboard for a lot of fascinating content, especially looking at the evolution of that park as well. Right, yeah. A lot of fun stuff happened there and is going on there still. It's changed tremendously. Well, I, I know I'd be the first to sign up to, to read a whole three chapters about the history of Superstar Limo. So, <laughs> oh my God, I love you so much for saying about that, for talking about that ride. So few that, people know about that ride. I, I remember, well, and mind you, it was only around for around a year or so, but I, yep. I remember it being just, just so clever, but also so awful at the same time in different yeah. ways. You went on it? Oh yeah. Multiple times. I remember that. Yeah. Not just the YouTube videos. I was on it. I remember, remember at the end, they take your picture and it shows up on the paper, like the newspaper. It's like yes, a new exactly. Now, the picture of my wife and I, we were laughing so hard because she looks like she's going to get physically sick. And I look like I'm ready to punch somebody. And like, we're both so like sick and angry that when we saw the picture of us looking that way, we lost it. And we tried to buy the picture. We're like, is there a way we can buy that? Is there like a file you can do? No, it's not available. I'm like, is there a way you can download that file? Like, no, it's not saved. It just does it. It, it. Oh, God. So we still laugh about how horrifically bad that picture of us was. Um, that's great. Oh, I love you. Very few people remember that ride. It was, um, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it, they, they shot, they swung for the fences and missed terribly. Well, I, I remember the description, and I can't say it on air because it's too uh, obscene. But as far as how Michael uh, Michael Eisner's vision of the of the attraction was, and it ended up evolving so drastically for a wide variety of reasons, most notably uh, Princess Diana's death and the paparazzi and limos and all that. But it's 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 really and there's some great YouTube videos on the history of the attraction, but I, I think it's one of the most fascinating projects that has ever come out of the company. Right, yeah, and so much of DCA was built with out of the shelf rides, rides that they just bought from other companies that they didn't build themselves, and so that was a ride that Imagineering built, and yet it was awful. Wow. So I, and I thought a that was a, a, a rare misstep for them. Yeah, but it's also a time capsule of of where the company was at at the time and also really what the, the budgetary re restrictions were as well. Exactly. So, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. We, well, I guess we'll have to just bring you back to talk about superstar limo for an hour. Right. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> cool. So the, the last question for you, David, and then we'll uh, conclude things. If you could, and so this is a random question. So this is one that's different for every guest. Okay. So if you could be a Disney cast member in any role what would it be and why uh at a disney park yeah yeah right? for the, a, a park or for the company more generally but yeah perhaps for the parks Jeez, all right if stick it just the parks i would love to be the president of disneyland because i'd give everybody who works there a pretty good raise because that's they, a great they, answer they work and it's so safe uh but they um they work so hard for what for what they get and uh they deserve a lot more than what they get but uh, yeah, but in terms of like working an attraction or something, I always thought it'd be fun to work monorail or, or uh, paddle those canoes. I'd like to be right. out. That'd be awesome. But I'll settle for <laughs> president of Disney. I'll settle for that job. <laughs> you know. Well, 
Yeah, no, and it's true. The cast members often don't don't get enough credit. But what one thing that's nice in the digital age that we live in, there's on Twitter or other platforms the cast compliment where you can recognize people. Uh, it kind of supplements the um, going to city hall and and giving people kudos too. So that is true. Yeah, yeah. But I, I agree. Cast members' stories are important. Their uh, time is definitely valued. And uh, you, yeah, you're you're part of that conversation too with relaying their stories via these books. So, uh, how wonderful! Well, thank you, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the book. It was well, been a lot of fun to work on. <laughs> well, and I want to make sure that people know how to get a hold of a copy of any of your current books or or know what to expect for your forthcoming ventures. Could you talk a little bit about your social media platforms and and how people can uh, purchase your books? Sure. Um... You can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Skipper Marley. It's dr.skipper.marley. Um, and you can message me there. Uh, my books are available on Amazon, or you can buy them from my Etsy store. So if you type in Dr. Skipper Etsy, it'll bring you right to the, right to the site. Um, and if you, if you buy it from me, it's, um, I'll autograph it for you. So check that out at no extra charge. Besides the charge already paying, yeah. So Dr. Skipper Etsy will take you right there. But uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook as well under Dr. Skipper Marley, and then but more and more I'm on Instagram a lot. Wonderful. Well, David, thank you again for coming on to Notably Disney. Excited about your forthcoming books, and certainly a lot to be dissecting with the the new Jungle Cruise film when that debuts next summer. But uh, yeah, best of luck with your uh, as you continue moving forward with these projects. They sound very exciting. Oh, well, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And thanks again to David for joining me on Notably Disney. It was fun to talk about some of his experiences as a cast member on the Jungle Cruise, crafting this book, hearing anecdotes from fellow cast members, and getting a sneak peek at some of those forthcoming titles. So you might want to have those on your radar, as well as pick up a copy of one of his existing books. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.